Well, the quarterback battle wasn't fully solved, but it'll be coming pretty soon. And Burke and Mara, they're coming to campus, baby. All on Locked On UCLA. You are Locked On UCLA, your daily podcast on the UCLA Bruins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On UCLA podcast. I'm your host, Zach Anderson. Yoxheimer, thanks for making this show your first listen each and every day. It's free wherever you get your podcast, audio-wise, YouTube, like, comment, download, subscribe. Thanks for your support becoming every day or because, hey, we've got good content coming out just about nearly every day per week with all the good reaction stuff on Saturday night. This episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash college. You can enter in the promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE, one word, for a free water bottle with any purchase. You don't want to take your bird dogs off, we promise you, and you're not going to want to turn this off because let's reflect on week one, right? The Bruins are 1-0. They took down Coastal Carolina, won by a couple of scores, a game that was probably closer than a two-score game but could have easily been a three-score, four-score victory for UCLA. They could have also easily lost if things didn't go according to plan in the fourth quarter. UCLA sits here in the midst of a lot of moving parts. They brought in a lot of transfers. They had some guys, especially a freshman, who are expected to make some leaps and bounds in this year in 2023, the new defensive coordinator. A lot of question marks coming into this year as to the viability of this team. How competitive can they truly be with Chip Kelly bringing in a new D coordinator? You have the, the third coordinator in three seasons, mind you, you've got a new quarterback spot, lots of holes to fill offensively in terms of guys who knew their roles last year and then talent to boot. Just how are they going to learn to do that as freshmen, newcomers, first time, second time starters from week one into week two? Well, the biggest question was the quarterbacks and Chip Kelly, when interviewed during practice, didn't really give much information as to, Who's going to start? What's going to happen? How's the rotation into week two? My perspective is I believe we could easily see Dante Moore take the first snaps. We could also see Garbers take the first snaps and Chip Kelly get Dante Moore in there in a much quicker thought. I would think you give Dante Moore the start in week two, considering what he did in week one, the couple of touchdown tosses, the energy from the team, And while Ben Bolch smartly pointed out LA Times beat writer for UCLA, he he pointed out that actually yards gained between the two the two quarterbacks when they are in was actually quite similar, but the results were much different. Twenty points for Dante Moore's offensive drives to seven for Garbers. And while Garbers got the first touchdown, one of Moore's drives stalling because of a pick in the end zone, and Dante getting the points because. Grayson McCall threw a pick in his own half of the field, so you don't really want to give all those points to, to Moore and, of course, the turnovers. But there was clearly a buzz, right? When the game was close, you brought in Dante Moore. The crowd was on their feet. What little there was it, at that point, play action, bomb to the stud, J. Michael Sturdivant, and UCLA just seemed to be a lot quicker, right? And I know there's a lot of pointing at the offensive line, blowing up the quarterbacks, leading to a couple of those interceptions. And while I do think Garbers is very capable – There's just a different buzz when this team has Dante Moore as its quarterback, and he's going to make some embarrassing decisions on the field. They just have to live with that. Case in point, when he faced the rush and just flicked up a terrible interception 
when the Bruins could have easily put the game away a lot earlier against Coastal Carolina in the fourth quarter. Garbers, who's had a lot more experience playing a, a ranked Utah team on the road in his first career start, having to come in for DTR against Oregon a couple of years ago, having to come in late in the bowl game and doing quite fine for the most part. The, the Bruins are in a conundrum, right? And that doesn't even add to the fact that Chip Kelly did not play Colin Schley, which he promised us, right? He promised that we were going to get some Colin Schley. And I think the rotation, in my mind, heading into week two, I know this is a very early in the week podcast. Ideally, how this should work is Dante Moore goes in as the starter, and the combo packages come in with Colin Schley, the dual threat. Try to give the run game a little more juice. I know both Harden and Steele had about the same amount of yards, similar carries, Steele a little bit better in terms of yards per uh, Harden, excuse me, better in terms of yards per carry, Steele a couple more yards or something similar on two more carries. I do think UCLA in the fourth quarter combination, it was Harden and it was Moore that truly put the game away against Coastal Carolina, against the Chanticleers. That doesn't mean that Steele shouldn't get time. I think the running backs have found themselves a nice rotation. I just think you put in Schley for more dual threat opportunities to mix it up, and it should be more mixed in with Schley for some kind of change-up options in the game. And I know Chip Kelly mentioned that the, the likes of the clock management in terms of the quickening pace of the game, despite the commercials they talked about with the clock running after first downs, you got a little bit less plays, it seemed like. For UCLA, more than seemed like, and maybe Schley didn't get in because of that reason, or maybe it was an in-game decision by Chip Kelly to not use Schley. He didn't really make it clear. Post-game, he said it was because of the timing before practice or during the practice interviews, it seemed a little less clear as to what Schley's role in week two will be. I think ideal scenario, you throw in more as the starter. Garbers is the ready backup, and then you've got Schley coming in with more mixing and matching in various situations, like a third and two, a third and one, maybe even give Schley his own drive, depending on his readiness and preparedness for this game against an interesting San Diego State defense that I think is better than Coastal Carolina's defense, although they did give up a lot of yards and some points to Idaho State. In the meantime, we'll talk about San Diego State later on in this episode, so stay tuned for some brief introduction to Week 2's opponent of the San Diego State Aztecs. In terms of Garbers, I think UCLA should have him in reserve, where if Moore is just skittish, if he's not feeling it in week two, then you bring in Garbers, scrap the Schley plan, and try to go win the ballgame. Because Chip Kelly's talked about what's going to make the difference. We're trying to win ballgames, and the QB is going to win this job as the QB that's going to move the team. That looked like Moore on Saturday night. Being there in person, seeing the energy of the crowd, the team, just how the ball moved, there's going to be mistakes, which is frustrating for a team that is talented and could compete this year in a daunting Pac-12, although with an easier slate than most, with a slightly easier non-conference than most, but more challenging than most expect. The Bruins could easily compete and be in the top 25. They're not, as of the Week 2 release. But they're on the verge, just like last year, of some key early season wins, and there'll be a lot of expectation. They just haven't had the reps with the Garbers, the running backs, the receivers, the Moors to truly decide what this team's identity is. And there's no identity. And usually teams don't form that identity by week two, but they don't actually have a true sense of the direction they're heading until they decide this is where we're going. And even then the quarterback situation might go back and forth. Now that was a lot of quarterback talk. And there's still even more to talk about because defensively 
looking at the the numbers, you had a lot of QB pressures from Latu, a lot of love for Gabriel Murphy, and thus Pro Football Focus, the college edition, rated UCLA football, tweeted this out, rated that UCLA football actually had the number one defensive line, the pass rush, the pressure. They had the number one pressure, most pressures in the country, despite all the likes of the offsides penalties. And Chip Kelly alluded to this in his interview, right, coming in and saying, hey, this is where we want to be aggressive. And I'm trying to get exactly to where Chip Kelly said specifically, we want aggressiveness because he said, I just thought their aggressiveness when you have that much production, 10 tackles for loss and four sacks against that football team, I think that's the one thing to look at. That's a good offensive football team and has been for the last couple of years. He's talking about the Bruins playing Coastal Carolina in week one and how he had had 78 touchdowns, eight interceptions, and the Bruins picked him off twice. And while they do have to clean up the penalties, and I think that's been an emphasis in practice leading up to the San Diego State game for UCLA, you know, they, they really want the production. They want to be aggressive. There's a fine line when he says if we really want to be aggressive, and I thought those guys were, and they set the tone. They set the tone. They want to go and jump. So there's a catch-22, Chip Kelly says, right? Well, I know some people are like, oh, they're undisciplined. They're going. That's an emphasis for this defense. And while the secondary is a bit of some question marks, the linebacking core, which had some good marks for a for like a Mawasau and a surprisingly quiet Femi Oladejo and a, an absence from John John Vons, the Bruins were relying on that pressure to force McCall into some tough decisions. The DBs eventually made some plays with Humphrey and Davies. But I think the Bruins kind of are on the side of, especially with Dantelin, aggression, 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 go for it. And with McCall being so dynamic with his career statistics, being such a good quarterback, I think the Bruins were like, we're going to live with some of these penalties that have to be cleaned up. Because when you're playing the Caleb Williams, when you're playing all these other quarterbacks down the line, you can't do that. They're going to burn you on the free plays when given the opportunity. But a week one, they lived with it. McCall's protection was all right. And the Bruins were able to get some pressure, especially late in the game, and put the game to bed when McCall and the Chanticleers couldn't move the ball in the fourth quarter when the game depended on it. They couldn't move it in the second half. First half, they moved it. The defense didn't. They bent but did not break. As opposed to the second half, the defense slowly put the clamps on in a way that wasn't truly dominant, but a way that was impressive as opposed to previous UCLA teams in fourth quarter struggles or strengths. So it's nice to see the Bruins kind of close the door there. And Chip Kelly saying, we want the aggression, right? Now the difference is San Diego State is going to run the ball a lot, a lot more. So in terms of the pre-snap jumping to get a QB rush, you're going to have to watch the ball and just react to the run. So I think UCLA might not have as many penalties in week two simply because of the offensive schematics that the Aztecs will bring playing at Snapdragon Stadium. Another thing, special teams, the battle between RJ Lopez and Blake Glessner. Glessner, he's a kickoff guy, as Chip Kelly mentioned. Glessner averages more yards per kickoff, so that's why he's the kickoff guy, which is you know pretty close between Lopez and Glessner. And then what Kelly was making it seem like and what we saw with Lopez in the game, the two correlated, he was just more accurate within the 20s, the 30, the 40-yard range of field goals. And Lopez, while we did have a starter in Nick, in Nick Barmira coming in, Lopez replacing last year's kicker and punter, quote-unquote, it was great to see that Lopez made a couple of kicks. The Bruins were 
all buttoned up on special teams. For the most part, you saw Powers, boom, two punts, drop it inside the 20, almost a 50-yard average on his punts with 97 yards for two punts. And then you had the likes of what was maybe the most disappointing of the special teams units, which was kickoff return, which we could all see that Colson Yankoff, I know he's super athletic, they just didn't have it. What Kelly said was it was the lack of a good block up front, a good wedge, in my words, I say wedge, but a good blocking scheme by the front guys of the kickoff return that it didn't matter who was behind on returning kicks. It was the fact that they didn't have a good block, which led to a poor return. I would like to differ there with Kelly, but it is what it is. Overall, I think the special teams, if you want to give them a grade, you have to give them an A because they did flip the game, make important plays. And other than a kickoff return, the Bruins didn't fumble it on the punt return. Loya was good there. It was nice to see that the Bruins, for the most part, didn't butcher anything when it came to special teams disasters. They had an A. The defense, when you pick off Rayson McCall, when you get some pressures, apparently pro football focus, one of the best QB pressures, one of the better defensive line performances, quote-unquote, against uh, what they were facing. It's nice to see that Latu, who I guess got credited with three sacks now as opposed to two post-game. That must have changed, or they gave him another credited sack that I missed. Latu with three sacks. Murphy was really good, one of the Murphy twins. The Bruins were good up front, which is still scary. They did bend but didn't break. But 13 points, you held a vaunted Coastal Carolina offense with some returning threats to 13 points, some key interceptions. I'm going to be very favorable and say an A-. minus For the offense, some things to grow. We'll give them a B- minus for their performance in Week 1. Still a lot of question marks heading into Week 2. And we'll find out how they do that against San Diego State. Some news and note news and notes for UCLA. If you saw Ale Cajo, he was limited in week one. And apparently, according to both Ben Bolch and the Bruin Report Online, he has been missing at practice for three days and not really a full explanation from Chip Kelly as to his absence. But he's missed practice three days in a row. And be- being around college football programs before, sometimes that can mean a multitude of reasons. And I don't personally know what it is. Whether it's one, whether it's A, B, I know there's some speculation, maybe based off different things, but he's just not been there. And that's interesting in a linebacking room that maybe was expecting a veteran to contribute this year. There was no John John Vaughns who was healthy and available, but didn't have any impact or any avail- didn't play the game against Coast Carolina, which is interesting because John John Vaughns a year ago, 11, 11 starts, two picks, seven passes defended, one tackle for loss and 53 tackles. And he's the two-sport star, baseball and football for UCLA, but might just be stuck behind the likes of an Oladejo, who didn't have too much of an impact on Saturday. But in the in means of that, he was available. Titus Mokialatimalala got a little more clarification, didn't play, was unavailable. So you wonder what his availability is heading into week two, maybe week three, because he is also a sneaky dynamic threat, along with Logan Loya, as a good receiver alongside the Cam Browns, who can pair alongside the J. Michael Sturdivant of the world as someone who can get loose underneath, who can make a big play when the defenses focus a lot of their coverage onto Sturdivant in the future weeks once they've seen that Sturdivant is just a straight beast. Someone's going to have to break out, and we hope Mokia Atamalala can be those guys. So he was unavailable. John John Vaughns was available. And then Caho, not at practice three straight days. So those are the news and notes for UCLA football. We'll talk more San Diego State Aztecs coming up at the end of the podcast. In the meantime, who's coming to campus? Well, it looks like some Bruins get some international flavor touching down in Westwood for the first time for both who? Adai Mara and Berkey. What does that mean? 
We'll tell you next on the Locked On UCLA podcast. Welcome here. I'm telling you, I'm sitting, and if you're sitting in hot days, maybe it's bad days, whatever it is, you want to have and enjoy a good sit, right? Because if you're wearing bird dogs, you're going to want to wear stretch khaki shorts that are designed to fit you slimmer through the thigh, feel good, just like they do. Almost most of the weekends, I spend myself find myself wearing bird dog shorts. And even bird dog pants are extremely comfortable, and they give you that sculpted look that make you look good. You might think you're dressing down. You're not dressing down for the occasion. Bird dogs, let's go. They do the same thing as you might see, like a Lululemon, but they fit way better. They use anti-stink, sweat-wicking fabric. So if you're wearing it at a hot, toasty day in the Rose Bowl, you'll join me. We're in the Rose Bowl one of these days in like October or September when it's toasty, and you're like, why am I sweating? But it don't stink. You're going to feel good in bird dogs. They're functional for any occasion. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on college. Enter the promo code locked on college at checkout for a free bird dogs water bottle with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on college. Free water bottle at checkout. You don't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. Segment two of the Locked On UCLA podcast. Zach Anderson Yoxheimer with you guys. And the Bruins men's basketball squad. Of course, they're just coming back uh, just about a week removed, at least in the posting of this podcast, of the Spain trip, which did not end according to plan with the non-publicized final score against Girona. But the Bruins went 2-1 and one in Spain. They saw a lot of bright spots. They saw some ups and downs and everything in between. And here they are. According to both Ben Bolch and the Bruin Report Online, based on various interviews and what they've posted and tweeted out and talked about, Adiamara and Berke Chinchil are both expected to land in Westwood very soon. Supposedly September 5th, which would be the dropping of this podcast. At some point, they'll see Westwood for the first time. So you got a couple of guys who have not been. I think Berke was interviewed by the Bruin Report Online as I was watching a little bit of it. And he said he's never been to the States. So you've got some guys who are coming for the first time, landing, and now the Bruins can slowly get to work, right? Individuals, all those different things. I know there's limits of practice prior to school, heading into school, and the beginning of school before they can officially get really down into business. But the excitement is here. If you're worried about a Burke or an Adai not coming, they're on their way to Westwood, and the excitement is here. Well, it's funny seeing that Burke interview from Bro Report was the fact that how he found UCLA, if you haven't heard it already, we'll just say one more again, Bruin Report Online, good interview there. And he found UCLA because he liked Kevin Love highlights and how Kevin played with the Cleveland Cavaliers against the Golden State Warriors in that 2016 NBA Finals. Looked up Kevin Love and said, all right, that's a similar position to what I'm used to. That's what I play. I have a different game than Kevin Love. But then he somehow, when doing some research on Kevin Love, found UCLA and then Throughout this whole process, which has been a whole thing, initially battling to get into UCLA because the academic institutions playing Tofas, and then eventually was able to get into Westwood. The Bruins brought him in, and for Burke, he was saying, I can play any position you want me to be, whether it's three through a five, even if you need me to be a guard, I can guard one through five. So maybe that just expectation should get us all excited for this upcoming basketball season because, hey, Imagine if the Bruins had that in Spain against the teams that they're playing, right? They could have got even more rebounds, probably could have dominated more defensively with some youngsters. It's different when you're playing with 
some true, obviously Burke is a true freshman, but you got the Devin Williams, the Brandon Williams, the Nubas, and without any Bona, the Bruins were still hurting for some impactful post play, right? With Mar not on that Spain trip and Burke. And if Burke can defend one through five, and he said specifically in that interview that, hey, I set my sights defensively. And if he can shoot a little bit too, he's been known to hit a pick and pop three, set some screens, lead system open shooters when he's played for his Turkish teams uh, overseas. The Bruins could be in for a much different offensive set, right? Maybe if Sebastian Mack, instead of shooting 37% in Spain, if they go pick and roll action with him ball dominant, turn and pick and pop, the Bruins could have a much different offensive set than what they showed in Spain. That's what's going to happen once UCLA can incorporate their couple of big men. Because we're still wondering, are they going to go big? Is it a Dembona, a Daimara, and Burke? Is that going to be a, an extra big lineup? Will they even go Burke as the five when they play small? Can they go four and five, Burke alongside a Bona or a Mara? You know, there's so many different combinations that with Burke coming, it can bring into play. Mara, there's been a lot of talk from various outlets. The one and done, I've even talked about he could be a lottery pick. And we've already forgotten about McBronin's comments. Bona, Burke, and Mara are easily potentially first-round NBA players in 2024 in the upcoming NBA draft, and they're all in the post. And will they ever see the floor together? Bona hasn't been here, and he's the reigning Pac-12 freshman of the year. So there's so much to look forward to for these guys getting on campus. Now I wonder, is Mara going to start, or is he going to come off the bench? Those are a lot of things, but... Once, you know, they can get that whole contract thing situated, he can land alongside Burke. They get accustomed to the Westwood life, accustomed to UCLA, because the Bruins don't start school for quite a bit when it comes to the quarter system in Westwood, which will mean we won't see some UCLA students for quite a bit at the football games. So we hope they show up if they're local. Anyways, beside that, be excited. They're coming and the Bruins will slowly become full strength when it comes to the entire team in the same spot, practicing at the same time, which they have not had yet. They have not had that through the summer. Burke was a late signee, so was Mara. And now, eventually, when September ends, pun intended, the Bruins can have a better idea of what this team will look like come November when the season starts. I'm excited for it. I hope you are, too. And there's many things to look at when it comes to say, hey, this team can look so many different ways, whether it's overall results, the season, the good, the bad, the lineup combinations. Mick Cronin can have his most entertaining season at head coach or his most frustrating and his least successful in his tenure. There's so many ways this season can go, and I'm just ready to be here for the ride. We'll continue on with our Spain analysis. I'll go back, look at some more statistics for the next couple episodes for UCLA. And we'll say, all right, who did some good things? Who had some ways to grow? We'll continue that analysis in upcoming Locked On UCLA episodes. But speaking of analysis, we're going to give a brief introduction to what the Bruins will be facing when they face San Diego State. UCLA's got to atone for that 2019 loss, the first ever in UCLA's program history to the Aztecs of San Diego State. And they get to go to San Diego this year to take them on in their new stadium. So what does that look like? I'll tell you next on Locked On UCLA. Well, cruising on, if you're getting ready for the NFL season, that's also going to start. They've got incredible offers from FanDuel. You can get some incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. New customers, right now, new customers. You can bet $5 
and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. And all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Remember, that got switched over. So if you want some money off to go watch some NFL action, go bet $5. You can get $100 off on the NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Right now, the best time to join FanDuel. The app is super easy to use, and you can get everything on spreads, player props, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Kick off the NFL season with an offer you don't want to miss. FanDuel, an official partner of Locked On in the NFL. Third and final segment of the Locked On UCLA podcast, Zach Anderson, Yox, I'm with you guys. Kind of gave some week one grades already for foot, for the football team. A little brief analysis of Burke and Mar and what their arrival means coming to UCLA. Finally to Westwood after the long saga of months ago. And now the Bruins got to turn the page, right? They've already turned the page. Maybe us as fans still debating about what the quarterback situation looks like. In the end, we won't really know until game time or some later announcement from Chip Kelly after this podcast is posted into a clear idea as to who will or may be in the lineup, at least as a starting quarterback, and what the rest of the team looks like heading into the San Diego State game. The Aztecs, they played week zero and week one, taking down Ohio in a slower game, winning by a score, I believe. They beat Idaho State in a higher scoring game, Idaho State, the Bengals, or an FCS team from the Big Sky. So I was surprised to see the score the way it was against Idaho State, considering 36-28 against what I thought was a better San Diego State defense. The Aztecs saw the Bengals of Idaho State throw it 60-plus times. So they faced a team that just slung the football all across the field and just completely said, hey, we're not even going to worry about the likes of a passing a running attack. So we'll see how that all plays out. But kind of looking at San Diego State coming in, one, this is a completely different look than Coastal Carolina is going to give. It was Grayson McCall and his threats. McCall, a bit of a dual threat, but can throw the football. We were surprised he didn't transfer. He was his three-time, he was his conference's three-time player of the year. Coming into the Aztec game, well, we're going to give you a name that you should know. Jalen Maiden. What's important about him? He just broke the program record for quarterback rushing yards in the game, 132. The Aztecs, which you might have seen tweeted out jokingly by the various outlets, I believe it was Mike Regalado, talking about, hey, what's Ken Norton Jr.'s emphasis this week? 200 yards rushing a game, right? That's what the Aztecs average. They have about 100-plus passing yards and 200-plus rushing yards a game on average in their first two victories in Week 0 and in Week 1. Now, that's against... Ohio, that's against an FCS team, and now you're taking on the Bruins. And what is San Diego State's actually third consecutive home game? If you remember, they played a lot of those games in, what, 19, 20, 21 in Carson, right, where the Galaxy play, and they finally got that new stadium opened. Of course, the Chargers left and bolted, Joe contended, to L.A., and then that left San Diego State as the premier football option in San Diego. So I'm expecting a big packed crowd for an Aztec team that can run the football, will run the football. And what I alluded to earlier is how the Bruins were expected to be aggressive, jump off the football, prepare for the snap for their offsides defensively. This is where the front seven's got to engage a lot. They're going to run, 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 and control the clock. Chip Kelly already talked about his frustration, even in that halftime interview, I believe, when he came off the field about the clock, the new rules. And when there's, there's going to be less plays, if the Aztecs can dominate the clock, the Bruins could be in for a rough one 
if they're turning it over and not getting off the field. Now, Colts Carolina had about, what, less than 60 yards rushing, and that wasn't truly the big focal point of their offense. This will be a good test. Two very different philosophies. A team that maybe not is going to throw it 60 times like Colts Carolina was, but Grayson McCall, a good quarterback, great quarterback. Then you've got a rushing quarterback who can throw it, who didn't throw it too often on Saturday against Idaho State, and the Bruins will have to completely flip their defensive mindset be ready, be ready, and don't get burned on a play action. San Diego State, another thing is we talk about the Bruins' sloppiness for week one. The Aztecs in week two, so mind you, they already got a game out of the way. They're playing an FCS opponent in Idaho State, who is one of the bottom-tier teams in all of the FCS. So I know there's already the gap between FBS, FCS, the Mountain West, and San Diego State, and the FCS. There's already the gap. Idaho State is coming into the year. They're at the bottom rung of the FCS. That's where they're currently sitting out there in Pocatello. And for them to kind of keep it close, actually take the lead early against San Diego State. I know the Aztecs had a 15-point lead. They played very sloppy as to why that game was close. It was 14 penalties. Can you imagine that? 14 penalties and multiple turnovers. They had four holding calls. Three offsides, so we thought the Bruins were bad. They also were offsides three times. Face masks, they had pass interference calls, all sorts of things. And while I know the game was a one-score game because Idaho State scored in the final minute of the game, San Diego State, 138 penalty yards, 14 separate penalties. In the end, that was one of the reasons why that game was a bit closer than it should be. And if they're sloppy, the Bruins have to take advantage of it. Or this could be one of the uglier games you see. If the Aztecs under Brady Hope don't clean it up, if the Bruins have just as many slightly impactful penalties as they did in week one, this could be a very ugly game. So expect this game to play a lot slower or quicker, if you will, when it comes to the running of the football. San Diego State will expect to try and dominate time of possession, just like Coastal Carolina did against the Bruins in week one. And Chip Kelly's already said in that practice interview, it's not about who runs the most plays, it's about who has the most points and wins the football game. And are the Bruins going to go tempo, tempo, tempo? Are they going to slow it down and give Dante a chance to digest the information? Is it Garbers? Is it Slee? All those different question marks heading into the San Diego State game. It's a completely different game, which I think actually bodes well for UCLA schedule-wise, right? You see one completely, you see one philosophy offensively. You see a completely different side in the next week. And that can just give your defense just a foundation for what you're going to face going forward, whether it's the quarterback schemes of Caleb Williams, whether it's a different sense against Washington State, Oregon State, maybe it's the physicality the Bruins will face in a few weeks' time against Utah. You're getting a lot of that out of the way just in the first two weeks, even though they're not Power 5 opponents, but you're facing a 2-0 Aztec team. You're going on the road. And the Bruins, remember, they didn't go on the road until they faced Colorado in their first Pac-12 game. So this will be a rowdy atmosphere, I expect, to be a sellout. I expect the community, that Mission Valley community, the San Diego fans, to be nuts with the Bruins there. And remember, this Aztec team has had a lot of success, the program, the last, I believe, few years at beating Pac-12 teams, beating a ranked Stanford team, beating a, a ranked Arizona State team, beating Utah two years ago, the year that they won the Pac-12 and went to the Rose Bowl, in 21, right? So they beat a Utah team in triple overtime in Carson. Last year, Utah thumped them back in Salt Lake City, but still, 
This is a San Diego State team that's feeling pumped. Of course, the 2019, the 2019 season was very forgettable for UCLA with a very then young Dorian Thompson Robinson and company. And the Bruins would like to exact revenge. I know Chip Kelly doesn't want that ding on his resume, the only coach to ever lose to San Diego State, and he lost to Fresno State. So those are things Chip Kelly has on his mind. I know he'll probably want to get a Fresno State win down the line, but right now is time to get the revenge for losing to the Aztecs. So a rowdy atmosphere can prepare them for the rest of the season. you got the rushing attack and a team that's almost equally as sloppy in their first two games compared to UCLA's one. So it'll be a funny one. We'll get more tips, tricks, everything about this matchup leading in for the rest of the week. But it'll be a fun one on national television as we expect every UCLA fan in L.A. to be able to watch it too in what will be a fun one. That's going to do it for Locked On UCLA. Hey, the Bruins are one to know. Basketball team's getting all their pieces together. And it'll be a very extremely, I think, fun atmosphere in San Diego. I hope I'm not wrong. I hope they sell it out at Snapdragon and have a fun time doing it. So Bruins fans, hands up. Eight clap time, baby. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, you, see, LA, UCLA, fight, fight, fight. This has been Locked On UCLA. Zach Anderson, Yoxheimer signing off. Go Bruins.